more time today to John chapter number 12. <coughs> We've been in John chapter 12 now. This will be, I believe, the third week, maybe the fourth week. I can't recall exactly. John chapter 12, when you find it, let's go ahead and stand together for those that can. And we're going to jump back in and not read all of the context as we have been. We're going to pick up in verse 23. We've read this every time that we have preached out of this the past few weeks. And I'll tell you what I told my wife the other night. I said it's kind of ironic. The message that we've been preaching on Wednesday night and the message that we've been preaching on Sunday morning, those started out as one message. And I thought we'd preach them in one, one go-round. But um, as a good Baptist preacher, I have learned to stretch it out a little bit. And uh, we'll finish it up today. Pick up in verse number 23 of John chapter 12. The Bible tells us, And Jesus answered them, saying, the hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my Father honor Watch verse 27. We'll pull most of, the, most of the message out of verse 27 today. The Bible says, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Question mark. Father, save me from this hour. Before this cause came I unto this hour. Let's pray together. Father, I do thank you this morning for the privilege to be in your house today. And Lord, we're thankful specifically for this good church that you've allowed us to be a part of. Thank you for your blessings, Lord, upon this place. Thank you for your power that, Lord, you have showed in this place. And we pray for that again today. I pray that you would bless as your word is preached, that our hearts would be open. Help us decide right now that, Lord, for the next few minutes, we're going to set aside the cares of life and receive what you would have for us. Because, Father, you knew who would be here today. And, Lord, you will give each and every one of us what you desire we have if we're willing to receive it. I pray for any that might be lost who are not sure that heaven's their home. Help them to come know you today. And I pray for the saved. The Father, as we seek to be engaged together, the Father, we will learn this last lesson on letting go that we might be free, uh, Lord, to serve you in the way you would have us to. And we thank you for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Today we're going to complete a, a series of messages we've entitled Lessons in Letting Go. As we have said over and over again the past few weeks and, and going into months now, the first quarter of this year we are focusing on the idea and the, the, the thought of being engaged in giving and ultimately just giving God what he wants in our service to him. Each of us have something to offer God. All of us have a talent. At the very least, we have time, but all of us have something that we can offer to God in our service to him, and we've been focusing on the first quarter of this year of being engaged in giving that in order to serve God, we must be willing to be involved and to give what God has given us uh, in way of our service to him. Early on in this series, we looked at how we know that God always provides for what he asks of us. Now, it's good to know this morning that God is not going to ask of us more than he will give us to be able to supply. And we saw that in the case of Abraham and Isaac, where God asked and commanded Abraham to take Isaac and sacrifice him on Mount Moriah. And as little Isaac would begin to ask his dad <clears throat> where the sacrificial lamb was, Isaac was teaching us all a lesson. And Abraham was teaching us a lesson when Abraham said that God will provide himself a lamb, and God did provide exactly for what he asked Abraham to do. We looked in Exodus chapter 25 and 35 where God called his people to build him a place of worship called the tabernacle. And all of the things that God required of them that he had already provided for them when they left out of Egypt. And time and time again, we see that what God requests and requires of us, he has already blessed us with to be able to give to him. And the good thing about our God is God is never going to run low. Aren't you glad? There are times in life where I run low on energy. Uh, this past week at the ball games, I don't see how these guys held up playing through that tournament bracket all week. Brother Brent had them very well conditioned to be able to play those games. Not all of the teams were as well conditioned as our guys were, I tell you that. They played valiantly, but they ran out of gas there toward the end, and our guys had all of the energy, and I wanted to be there to watch it. We were there for every game and watching our guys play, and I tried to stand over in the corner, and I'm watching what's going on, and I got home in the evening. 
evening, I told my wife, spectating is a tiring sport. Two days worth of tournament. I was in bed sometimes before 10 o'clock, which is rare around our house. I run low. Sometimes I run low on energy. There are times I run low on ideas. Sometimes I have to go to my wife and get a good idea of, of what I need to do throughout the course of my day. But aren't you glad this morning God never runs out? God never runs out of what we're going to need, what Central Baptist Church is going to need, and what God is going to require of you as an individual in this church, at this place, in this year. God will never run out of what is required to do the job that he's going to call us to. I love the, the quote by Judson when he was at Burma, missionary to Burma, going through one of his toughest hours, and he was asked by one of the men there about his hope that he had in God after he had gone through a tough time. And Judson's famous quote said, Says that the future is as bright as the promises of God. Aren't you glad that for a child of God, regardless of who wins the next election, our future is as bright as the promises of God? I watched some of the debates this past week, and I watched what's going on up in Washington, and you're thinking, boy, if this guy gets in, it's going to be trouble. It might be, but our future is still as bright as the promises of God, because God's never going to run out of power. God's never going to run out of providence. He has all that we need to get the job done if we're just willing to let go of what he gives us in our service to him. I love the little prayer of the little boy who knelt down to pray. And as often children do, they remember everybody. I don't know if uh, you've ever been waiting to go to bed and waiting for a child to finish their prayer. But you're there waiting a while, aren't you, sometimes? Uh, They pray better than we do, I believe. And they're praying for their aunt and their uncle and their classmate and their classmate's pet turtle and uh, their classmate's cousin in Alaska who has a pet dog who hurt his foot. And they're praying over everything. At the end of the prayer, the little boy says, and God, he says, would you please look after yourself? He said, because if something happens to you, we're in deep trouble. That little boy had it figured out, boy, that God, look, we look to God for everything. If God runs out, we're going to be in trouble. But I'm glad that God's not going to run out of what we need. And God's always going to supply what he asks of us. There's no need for us to fret about being able to do what God's called us to do. There's no need for us to fret about having the ability to sing or to preach or to be a missionary. Why? God will supply what he requires of us to give back to him and our service to him. Look, be sure it's God speaking, but if God were to speak to you and say, I want you to give a million dollars to missions. Now, be sure it's God saying that before you commit to that, all right, next week at missions conference. But look, if God specifically said to you to give a million dollars to missions, you watch, God will find a way to supply it. And no, I don't mean a scratch off. He can do it without a scratch off, okay? Don't you leave here and go by the gas station and get you a scratch off because mission conference is coming up real soon. God will provide it other than a scratch off, I assure you. But here's what happens. God supplies what we need to do the job that he's called us to. But somewhere between God supplying it to us and we serving God with it, it gets lost. God supplies us with the time that we need to serve him with. God gives us the time. God gives us the talents. God gives us the resources that he requires that we serve him with, but somewhere between God supplying it and us serving God with it, it gets lost. Now, folks, we've got to figure out where it's getting lost at. And I'll tell you where this morning, if you're anything like me, it gets lost in the fact that it's hard for me to let go of those things at times. God gives me the time to serve him and to walk with him. And God gives me the time to pastor this church because God's called me to pastor this church. Therefore, I have the time to do what God's called me to do. But what do we do sometimes? We hate to let go of the time to do what God's called us to do. Because I want to take that time and maybe sleep off a tournament week. Uh, Maybe I want to take that time to spend a little extra time in the deer stand. Or maybe I want to take that time to do absolutely nothing. But instead of giving it and taking and putting it toward what God would have me to do, and God lets us rest, okay? I'm not saying God requires 24 hours a day from us. God gives us time to rest, but oftentimes we do not use what God gives us for what God has given it to us for. God blesses us with talents. Some of you have magnificent talents. You can sing. 
Some of you have talents in your ability to be able to speak with people and converse with people and share the gospel. Some people have gifts of being able to draw. I've seen several people in our church who have gifts that are able to draw, and some of our men have gifts in the technology, and they're using that as we speak in the service to God. But how often does God bless us with what he requires us use in service, and yet we have trouble letting it go, don't we? Uh, let's go ahead and just hit the nail on the head. Oftentimes, it's that way with our tithes and with our offerings. God blesses us with that. All right, you say, well, I knew you was going to preach about money. Well, it's in the book, so of course we're going to preach on it. Amen? I mean, God blesses us with what he requires us give, and yet somewhere between him supplying it and us serving God with it, it gets lost, and oftentimes it's because we're unwilling to let go of what God has given us in service to him. Now, two weeks ago, we started this series on lessons and letting go, and the first thing we looked at was a one-point message on seeing past the emotions of the moment. You've got to get past the, the emotions of how you feel and getting wrapped up in this life. If you get wrapped up in this life, you're going to invest all of your time, all of your talents, and all of your resources in this life, and you're going to have nothing to serve God with. So you've got to get past the emotions of the moment of this life. The Bible says this is just a vapor, by the way. Why on earth would you invest in a vapor? It appears for a moment and then it vanishes away. But last week we got specific and we looked at three feelings that will affect your focus. We looked at Christ and how he is about to go and be crucified. And the feelings that he experienced are feelings that we experience. Remember, the Bible says he was at all points likewise tempted as you and I are. That means there's no temptation that you will face that he has not already faced and defeated. The three feelings we looked at was the feelings of acceptance. In order for you to look forward to serving God, you're going to have to get past the feeling and the desire in this life to be accepted. The second was the fear and the feeling of anticipation of what God may call us to do. I cannot give God what he wants me to do because what if I give God my life and then he calls me to go to Zimbabwe? Oh, we can't get past that feeling. We're worried about that. The third was the feeling of affection that oftentimes the reason we cannot give God what he's given us to serve him with is because we're too in love with the things of this world. But this morning, we're going to zoom in just a little bit, and we're going to see Christ simplify the last steps of letting go. He's fixing to show us how to let go of our life, because that's exactly what he's about to do. And if we look down at verse 26 and 27 today, we're going to see the message come in the form of three questions. And how you answer these three questions will determine what you do if you do anything for the cause of Christ with your life. So look at verse 26. The Bible says, Jesus speaking, if any man serve me, let him follow me. Where I am, there shall also my servant be. Now look, you don't have to look up the Greek to understand what verse 26 is getting at. Verse 26 is fairly self-explanatory that if we are going to serve Christ, we are going to follow him. Now I love the fact that Christ puts it almost in the form of an ultimatum. Now, we don't like ultimatums, do we? We like those warm, fuzzy, gray areas. We don't like it right or wrong or in or out. We kind of like those areas where it's kind of fuzzy, but he didn't leave a whole lot of fuzzy wiggle room, did he? He says that if you're going to serve him, let him follow me. And he's not just saying, follow me to the cross, because we know he was the one that would go and die. Following is the example that he gave us in verse 24 and verse 25. He said, if you're going to serve me, follow me, and follow the example. So what did he say in verse 24 and verse 25? Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone, but if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it. Notice that, lose it. He that loveth his life, you're going to lose it. You're going to leave it behind. You will have nothing in eternity. But notice, if any, the Bible says, he that he hateth his life in this world shall keep it, Unto life eternal. So number one this morning, I want you to notice the first question. Letting go is a question of how far you're willing to follow. Letting go is a question of how far you are willing to follow Christ. Because what did he say you're going to do? He said, if you want to serve me, you've got to follow me. Follow the example that he's giving us in verse 24 and verse number 25. And that is of someone who is laying their life down. 
Now, folks, understand, if we are not willing to let go of what God has given us to serve him with, whether it be our time, whether it be our talents, whether it be of our substance, if we're not willing to let go of that, we're willing to hold on to that, there's no way you can follow Christ. Think about the simple geography of it. If my wife calls me, she says, honey, I'm tired of you preaching this message. Let's go out and get something to eat. Now, I'm always interested in getting something to eat, but I say, you know what, honey, I'm holding on to this pulpit right now. There's no way that I can follow my wife out to lunch as long as I am holding on to this. And this is what Christ is saying. There's no way that we can follow him if we're not willing to let go. And I'll tell you what's holding up so many of us today and following Christ fully is because the things that we're not willing to let go of. What did he say? The Bible says, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and they what? They follow me. They follow me. Now, folks, listen, if we're going to follow Christ, we can't be holding on to things that hold us back. And what's holding so many of us back today from following Christ fully is the things that we're unwilling to let go of. I can't let go of my time to follow Christ. I can't let go of my talents to follow Christ. I can't let go of my substance to follow Christ. And what we're holding on to is holding us back from following Christ. You got to answer the question this morning. If you truly want to follow Christ, you must be willing to let go of what God requires from you, or else you're going to be on a tether. You know what a tether is? A tether is a lot like a pivot. Our guys play basketball this week, and if you know anything about basketball, once you pick up your dribble, you can only move one of your feet. Do I understand that? You watch basketball, some of you are looking at me like, what on earth are you talking about? You can only move one foot. So you can go here, and you can go here, and you can go here. Quit laughing, and you can go here, and you can go here. But watch this. You're limited by the foot that is planted. That's called your pivot foot. You can go no further than that pivot foot will allow you to go because that foot cannot move. And I want to tell you, our guys did some acrobatics this week. They'd pick up their dribble and you got this monster hanging over them trying to slap the ball loose. And our guys are doing all of this. and Our guys are doing all this. But they were unable to move. Why? Because their pivot foot was planted. And they could only move as far as that pivot foot would allow them to move. Here's the question this morning. What's your pivot? What's your pivot? What is it this morning that you can't let go of that's limiting your following of Christ? You see, because if there's something you're unwilling to let go of, your limit in following Christ is how far that pivot foot will allow you to go. I see a lot of Christians, they spend their life in a very small area of service to God. Do you know why? They have a pivot foot. They've got a foot they're unwilling to move. They can't move it. They're staying in the same spot, holding on to one thing, and that's keeping them moving forward in the will of God. Now, can I tell you something this morning? You can desire to follow Christ. You can plan on following Christ. You can pray about following Christ, but you will never follow Christ until you learn to let go of what's holding you back. I'll give you a funny story. You won't believe this, but my mom and my dad can verify this, and they're honest, so you'll know that it's the truth. My brother, I don't know, he was about seven, eight years old. He wanted an iguana, a pet iguana. How he wanted an iguana, I don't know. Down in South Mississippi, we don't have a whole lot of those running around, but he desired to have one, and we priced it and realized it was too expensive to get one. And so he said, well, I'm just going to pray for one. Well, you can go ahead and pray for one all you want, you know, but uh, I don't think it's God's will you have an iguana. He got meningitis from going out in the Gulf. He cut his foot on a, a clamshell and uh, had to go to the doctor. And they had to do a spinal tap over at the pediatric clinic. And you know, you do a spinal tap, they double you over, and they stick that needle down in your back. And you have to stay doubled over. And we were leaving the pediatric clinic to go to Force General. They were going to admit him for the meningitis that he had. And as we pulled out of the driveway, my dad is driving. True story. My dad is driving, and my dad says, look. This is no exaggeration. Crossing the driveway of the pediatric clinic was a three-foot-long iguana. My brother, who was supposed to stay doubled up because of the spinal fluid that he just had taken out of, it, out of his back, jumps up, opens the door of the van, and jumps out in the parking lot. He grabbed, this is no joke, folks. Look, I really, you know, that was in Hattiesburg. I, if you lost an iguana, I don't know, about 20 years ago, we found it. We really did. My brother grabs the iguana, picks him up in the air, and says, Lock! 
and snaps three inches off of his tail. So now here's my brother who's had a spinal tap who should not be out of the car. He's out of the car. He's holding three inches of an iguana's tail while this iguana's trying to get out of the way for the mad family that's trying to catch him. Finally, we get out and we catch the iguana. My brother says, that's what I prayed for. Evidently, he had a prayer life back then because he prayed down an iguana from heaven. You have not because you asked not. Just throwing that out there. So here we are. We get in the car. And Mom and Dad have to do the parent thing and take my brother into the hospital. Okay? So here, I forget who all was in the car. No, me. I think maybe Chris was. My sister was in the car. And we're sitting there with this iguana. He's just looking at us. I have no experience in iguanas. You know, I've had a few church members that were, you know, kind of serpenty, but I've never worked with iguanas. And we're sitting there, mom and dad in the hospital, we're looking at this thing, and every once in a while he swat his tail at us. I don't blame him. I'd be mad too if you broke off three inches of my tail. I'd probably be trying to whoop at you too. And we're sitting there looking at him, and he's looking at us. And long story short, we took him home, and he became our pet. His tail healed up very nicely. And and we went to the pet store one day, and we found a, uh, a leash, a lizard leash for him. And we'd walk him around the camp, our lizard. His name was Iggy, a real creative name. And we'd walk him around the yard. And one day, we're out down there walking near the pond of the boys' cabin area. We walked down the hill, and as soon as he saw that water, man, he took off, running toward that water. It was a long leash, and he jumped in the water, and he just started swimming out around the water. And he swam as hard as he could, trying to get away. And he swam out far as it would go. And all of a sudden, that leash caught. And next thing you know, he'd turn in this direction. He'd swim as far as he could go in that direction. And then the leash would catch. And he kept trying to go this way. He was hoping to go that way. But you see, that lizard was on a leash. And that lizard could only go as far as the leash would let him. And so as much as he desired to go and he wished he could go, he was limited by the leash that was holding him back. And I fear this morning, oftentimes in the church, what we have is really amounts to a bunch of lizards that are on leashes. We can only go as far as what we're holding on to. We wonder why we never make any progress in following Christ. We wonder why we never make any headway. It's because we have a pivot foot. There's something that's our leash, and it's something that we won't let go of. And what we won't let go of is holding us back from following Christ. What did he say? Look down. If any man serve me, let him follow me. How do we follow Christ? Well, he says, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, lay his life down, the Bible says, and follow me. Now, folks, this morning, if you desire to move forward in your, the will of God for your life, you're going to have to learn to let go of what's holding you back. And what's holding you back is oftentimes what we're holding on to. I want you to think about the, the apostles in Matthew chapter 4 when uh, Christ comes along. And the Bible says that, uh, that Peter and John were, were mending their nets or, or, get, or casting a net in the sea for they were fishers. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18, he comes along and says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Now, the net they were using was a cast net. It was one you would throw out in the water and it was up to 25 feet wide. I want you to think about this. Think about Peter, Christ calls him to follow him. And Peter says, okay, I'm going to follow you, but I'm bringing my net with me. How far do you think Peter would have made it dragging a 25-foot weighted cast net along? Can I tell you what would have happened? Sooner or later, that cast net was going to limit what Peter was able to do. Why? Because he was holding on to something that he should have let go of. That's why the Bible says they straightway left their nets and followed him. Can I tell you what he's saying? They let go so that they could follow now, folks, this morning, there's no way we can follow Christ without letting go of the things that God's called us to let go of. I've told you many times, and you can laugh. It's okay. But uh, I was a dreamer, and I love basketball. wasn't as good as some of our guys, but I love basketball. And I was going to play in the NBA. That was my plan. I was working hard, and I was going to do it because mom and dad told me I could be anything I wanted to be. And so I was working hard at it. And boy, June of 1995, when the Holy Spirit of God began to stir my heart about preaching the gospel of Christ... Can I tell you what I had to deal with? It wasn't worrying about dealing with deacons, to be honest with you. You know, that's a fear sometimes. It wasn't worrying about the membership. In order for me to follow Christ, I was going to have to let go of what I was holding on to. You know what it was? It was my hopes and my dreams. 
I even, I even rationalize this. Aren't, aren't we good at rationalizing the will of God? I said, I'm going to be a chaplain in the NBA. That was a good idea. You know, I'm going to mix the two together. No, and I'll never forget. My mom had a, uh, that night, my mom had a, uh, a dry cleaning receipt, I believe from my sister's graduation in her purse. I said, do you have something I can write on? She said, yeah. And she took that dry cleaning receipt out, and I wrote down that that night I committed my life to Christ. I had to write it down. And oh, it was so hard. You say, well, you would have never made it anyway. But buddy, it was something I was holding on to. Before I could follow Christ in obedience to do what he's calling me to do, I realized I had to answer the question of how far I was willing to follow. And how far I was willing to follow was going to be determined by what I was willing to let go of or not let go of. I wonder this morning, what is it that's holding you back? I read a story the other day about a young man in, I believe it was Washington State in 2012. I may have printed it off. I don't guess I printed it off. And they had this contest where you could win the rights to a uh, BMW i-Series to drive it for five years at no cost. Here was the only catch. The only catch was whoever could hold their hand on the car the longest would get the rights to drive that car for five years. The man who won it ultimately held his hand on that car for 86 hours. They would give him a 15-minute potty break every four hours. And he had to come back and put his hand back on the car. When he was asked at the end of it was, it, was was it worth it? He says, absolutely not. His legs were swollen for standing so long. He was dying of hunger. His body was weak. He says, it's not worth it. I would never do it again. But I wonder how many of us are just like that man with our hand on that car. Or our hand on our time. Or our hand is on our life and our hopes and our dreams. And as much as we would like to follow Christ, we refuse to take our hand off of what is holding us back. I would take the advice of the man who won the contest and realize it's really not worth it. Folks, it cost Christ to follow the will of his father. It's going to cost us to follow the will of our Father. This is what Jesus is speaking about in Matthew 19. I want to turn there right quick and read this for you. Matthew chapter number 19 and verse number 29. He gives us a list of things that may come into play at times when we're following Christ. Matthew 19, 29. Listen close. Matter of fact, I'm going to give you the context of what Peter had to say in verse number 27. Peter says this. He says, behold, we have, verse 27, behold, we have forsaken all and have followed thee. Notice Peter is equating following Christ and forsaking things. Verse 28, he says, what shall we have there, therefore? Verse 28, and Jesus said unto them, verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory he also shall sit upon 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Watch verse 29 now. And every one that hath forsaken houses, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my name's sake. Now, some of you don't get too excited because it said you can forsake your wife there, all right? This is not an excuse. Oh, well, God gave me an excuse. No. You know what it's saying? At times in our following of Christ, it's going to be costly. There are things we're going to have to leave along. the. I don't know how many missionaries that I know have buried a spouse on the mission field. Because they were on the mission field serving Christ. They were down. My grandmother, you know very well, got a disease on the mission field that would cost her her life. And serving God cost my grandfather his wife. And oh, it was hard to have to let her go. But it was, as he said in verse 29, for his name's sake, there are times that following Christ, you will leave things along the way. But it's worth it. Oftentimes we think, well, you know, this is not something that's wrong. This is what we always ask. Look, there's nothing wrong with this. I can hold on to this. Do you know, nets were not bad things either. Nets were not bad things. But nets were things that were going to hold them back and limit them and their following of Christ. At times there are things that we have to let go of. Why? Because they're limiting our fellowship of Christ. They're not necessarily bad. 
But if you desire to follow Christ, we must be willing to take our hand off the car and say, you know what? This is keeping me from fully following after Christ. And I'm going to assure you that one day that's all that's going to matter is that we follow Christ fully. Paul put it this way in Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4. He says, no man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. Now, oftentimes, I think we think of that verse the wrong way. It didn't say that no man that warreth gets entangled. He says, no man that warreth entangleth himself. He's given us the idea in the tense of the verbs that are there. It's self-inflicted. Nobody that desires to war or follow Christ is going to entangle himself. All right? This is self-inflicted. Folks, this is what we do when we hold on to things that God says let go of so that we can follow after him fully. Why would we entangle ourselves? It's going to keep us from following after Christ. Number one. It's a question of how far we're willing to follow. Look at verse 27. Verse 27, I read this verse a few weeks ago while we were away, just having some quiet time, praying. Got up and began to read John 12 and read this verse. And I want you to know this is one of the saddest verses in Scripture where Jesus says, now is my soul troubled. This is the king of glory. And he says, I'm troubled. And when you realize why Christ was troubled, it hurts even more. He was troubled. He was burdened for what he was going to do for us. He knew what was ahead. He knew the arrest. He knew the scourging. He knew the crucifixion. The word crucifixion is where we get our English word for excruciating. He knew what lie ahead, and the Bible says, he said, my soul is troubled. We are actually getting to hear Christ's heart. We're getting to hear the weight of the burden that he was carrying. So here's number two. Christ understood that laying down his life would be required to satisfy the demands of his burden. So number two, letting go is a question of what we're really burdened about. Letting go is a question of what we are really burdened about. Watch closely. Christ is burdened about what he's about to go through, but what he's about to go through did not deter him from who he was burdened about. Say, how do you know? Because he went ahead and he endured the burden all because he was burdened about me. Can I tell you one way to know for sure what really matters in your life? And what you're really burdened about in your life is what you're willing to lay your life down for. You know, there's a difference in feeling sorry for someone. Every time I come out of Walmart, there's usually someone sitting there on the corner with a sign, need food, need money. At Elks Lake down here every morning on the way to school, there's someone standing down there with a sign, need food. My heart breaks for folks, really does. I am a compassionate person, and I feel sorry for them. But can I tell you this morning how you know what you are really burdened about? It's what you're giving your life for. That's how you know what you're burdened about. Look, Christ was burdened about all of the punishment he was about to receive. But I'm glad that even though the crucifixion would be burdensome, I was his burden. He was willing to go through all that he had to go through. Why? Because he was burdened for me. And John 15 says it all. Greater love hath no man than this. That he what? He lay his life down for his friends. Now watch close. I wondered what this man is burdened about. He said, well, that's easy. He's burdened about his friends. How do you know he's burdened about his friends? Because he's given his life for them. That's how we know. Now, folks, this might make us feel a little bit uncomfortable for a second. But can I ask you this morning, what are you giving your life to? What are you giving your life to? What is getting the bulk of your time? What is getting the bulk of your talents? What is getting the bulk of your substance this morning? Because that's what you're burdened about. Because ultimately, we will give to what burdens us the most. And Christ says here, my soul is troubled. And in spite of all that he's about to go through, he would lay his life down anyway. Why? Because I was his burden. Long before I was ever born, he looked down through time and saw that I would be born a sinner, just like each and every one of us. That was in desperate need of a Savior. 
And oh, that burdened the heart of God so much that he sent Christ to live, to die, and to rise again for me. He proved what he was burdened about by what he was willing to give. So could we ask the question this morning, based on what we are willing to give to the cause of Christ, our time, our talents, our substance, what does it say about our burden today? Can I ask you, what are you troubled about today? I believe honestly, based on what we give to the cause of Christ, and listen, it's far much more than financial, okay? Can we just get past that? It's far past that. Based on what we give to the cause of Christ, I believe it's a telling sign that we're not very burdened about the work of God. Why? Because we're not willing to give our life toward it. I didn't grow up in Louisiana, grew up in Mississippi, so crawfish were a, not something we ate a lot of. When I did eat them, I liked them, but I did not know how to eat them. I didn't know really anything about crawfish. Matter of fact, I'll give you a funny. Look, just stop the clock, all right? This doesn't go in my time. I'll give you a funny real quick. I got engaged to a girl from Louisiana who is now my wife, and uh, she was coming down to visit as we're getting ready to plan the wedding and all of those things. And um, passed by a gas station on the way home from work, and it said crawfish. And I thought, told my brother, let's, let's get his future fiance was coming with her, my fiance. I said, let's get the girls some crawfish. He said, all right, I don't know anything about crawfish. Let's go buy some. So we stopped at this gas station to buy some crawfish. And the lady says, how much do you want? I said, well, we better get a lot. Girls from Louisiana, they like crawfish. I said, give us five pounds of crawfish. I told my brother, we're going to show them, man. We're going we're gonna to put on a spread five pounds of crawfish. My wife gets there and she says, uh, I said, look, we got you guys crawfish. We're going to sit here. We're going to eat crawfish and all of that. And we literally pull out this one brown bag and we set it up on the table. And I could tell by the Snickers they were trying to be respectful and kind. I said, what's the matter? She says, well, what are y'all going to eat? You know, (laughs) there was enough for me and there was enough for him. There wasn't enough for anybody else. I didn't know anything about crawfish. And so I didn't know how to peel crawfish. You can start the clock again, okay? I didn't know how to peel crawfish. And for me, I'm sitting there peeling this thing. And by the time it was all said and done, I got a piece of meat of it about that big. And to be honest with you, I'm thinking, this is not worth it. This is not worth the effort. Give me the potatoes and the corn. I just sit there and eat all of that stuff because all you had to do is eat it, you know. But sitting there peeling these crawfish. And after a while, you have a piece of meat the size of a green pea. And you're thinking, this is not worth it. And my wife taught me how to properly peel the crawfish. And man, there's a lot of meat in there, isn't there? I didn't realize there was so much meat in the crawfish. But here's the deal. I was not willing to put in the work and to give the time to peel them because what in the end that I got from it was not worth it to me. Now, can I tell you that by Christ laying down his life, he thought and knew that we were worth it. He proved that we were worth it by what he was willing to lay down. Understand, you've got to answer the question today. What are you really burdened about? Because what you're burdened about will be proved out and what you give your life for. Look, we all have to work. I understand that. He said, Brother Jeremiah, what you're going to do is quit my job and be here at church all the time. No, work is good. God designed it. The Bible says a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. Okay? We oftentimes use the scripture, the ox is in the ditch. Sometimes I think we fence the ox in the ditch. Do we ever ask ourselves the question of why we have to work so much? That's some of our young couples at our church, trying to help them. Look, I love them. I'm trying to help them. I want them to have something in eternity. I want them to walk up to me in heaven, shake my hand and say, thank you for challenging me with the word of God because I made changes on earth that I'm reaping from now. So listen, Brother Jeremy, I don't have time to go on a mission trip. I don't have time to serve God. I don't have time to go to this fellowship. I don't have time to go to the couple's retreat. So here's what I taught them to do. Ask the question, why? Ask the question, why? Why? Because I have to work. That's good. Work's a good thing. We know that, okay? God's not against work. Matter of fact, a whole lot more Americans need to be about that, okay? So why do you have to work? Well, I have bills, okay? We all have bills. That's understandable. Why do you have bills? Well, because my wife likes to eat and my kids like air condition and, you know, all this. Okay, keep asking the question why. And if we're honest with ourselves, we'll find that oftentimes we have racked up bills for things that God really didn't want us to have. And that's why we don't have time to serve God. Now, folks, this is the truth. The time that we could have given God and service and going and strengthening our homes through a marriage retreat, we don't have the time because we're having to work to pay for things, not necessities because God promised to supply all that we need. God's not a deadbeat dad. 
God's going to make sure that his children have all that they need and some, but we've got to make sure that what God blesses us with, we use for his service. And that's oftentimes why we can't serve God. We're having to take care of things that God did not want us to have to begin with. So real quickly, John chapter 4. I want to read this for you right quick. It's not very far away. John chapter 4. The Bible tells us about Christ in a passage that we're all very familiar with. Verse number 3, the Bible says that he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. Watch verse number 4. And he must needs go through Samaria. He must needs go through Samaria. I love the fact that in the word of God, God put the word must. Because what was driving Christ to go through a part of town that not a whole lot of folks wanted to go through that part of town. What was driving Christ to go through Samaria to a woman that most people would have passed up and walked on the other side of the street for. What drove Christ to do what he did was a burden. He was troubled for her. And folks, I tell you, I believe if we just look at our lives, if we're honest, hey, can we be honest with ourselves? If we're just honest with ourselves this morning, we can tell that we're not burdened about the things of God because the things of God are not what we give our lives to. Christ says, I must needs go through Samaria. Matter of fact, the disciples do what they're worried about. Look over in chapter, uh, back in chapter 4. I would have been right here with them. In chapter 4, we look down to... Uh, to verse number 33, the disciples therefore said the disciples one to another, hath any man brought him ought to eat? The disciples are thinking about their belly. How often do we think about our belly? We're thinking about ourselves and how we feel, and yet Christ had meat to eat that they knew not of, and that was to do the will of his Father. That's what he desired to do was fulfill his Father's will. I'm going to hurry, and if you have to go, you have to go, but we're going to finish the message this morning. I heard a statistic the other day that was startling. And it concerned tithing, but we're only going to stay there just for a second. That only 17% of, of churchgoers, Christian Baptist churchgoers, 17% pay a 10% tithe. Only 17%. Which is a very, very sad thought, to be honest with you. But here's what's sad. I thought to myself, if 17% is the number that are willing to give the bare minimum, if 17% is what we're willing to give in that area, I wonder if that carries over into the other areas of serving God. Now, once you think about this, what are we? We're a body of Christ, correct? We're a body of Christ. What if only 17% of the body worked? You would almost be an invalid. I did some study yesterday on, uh, on hearts, and I decided that I am not called to be a heart surgeon. After looking at those pictures, whew, I just don't say how you guys do that in the medical field. And you know what it's called when you have above 70% of your heart that is not functioning? Because if only 17% of the church is giving of their time and their talents in service to God, that means that 83% are not. You know what it's called when 70% of your heart is not working? Severe coronary heart disease. Severe coronary heart disease. You're on the verge of dying. I wonder why we see so many churches dying. Could it be because only 17% of our people are giving of their time and their talents and their substance and service to God. I'll give you another one real quick for you car buffs. The average car in America, speaking of car, average car gets, uh, is 120 horsepower, all right? I know that's not the good old days of the muscle cars, but 120 miles, uh, 120 horsepower. Imagine if your car decided it was only going to give you 17% of that. It would be 20.4 horsepower. I think I've got a bicycle that can do better than that. Car wouldn't function very well if it's only giving 17% of its capability. Now, folks, I'm going to tell you, how do we expect the body of Christ to fully function when only 17% are willing to give of their time and their talents and their substance in their service to God? Can we just ask that honest question this morning? How would a body function? We would call a body that could not move but 17% and do 70% of what it's capable of doing. We would call that an invalid. Folks, that's the truth this morning that oftentimes it's not worth our trouble. What did Christ say in verse 27? Now is my soul troubled. Here's what Christ is doing. He's looking ahead. He sees the heartache. He sees the pain. He sees the crucifixion. He sees the, the, the flogging that he's going to face. And he says, oh, I'm troubled. That's going to be difficult. 
But can I tell you something that will bless your heart? You were worth the trouble. I was worth the trouble. Doesn't it make your day when somebody leaves you a little note, says, hey, I'm praying for you, sends you a text. Hey, hope you have a great day. My wife does it all the time. Love you. I have two post-it notes on my phone in my office. One's for my wife, one's for my daughter. And it just, one for my daughter says, love you, dad. And one for my wife says, love you, honey. And oh, it just makes my day to look down and see that note, thinking somebody thought of me and loves me and encourages me. Can I tell you, the king of glory thought you were worth the trouble. He looked ahead and he saw all that he was going to go through. He says, they are worth laying my life down for. And can I tell you, we just need to ask the question this morning, is the will of God and serving God worth the trouble? Because the question is, what, we, what are we burdened about? What are we giving our life to? I'll give you this and I'll give you the last point. In Romans chapter 9, the apostle Paul said this, that if it took in order to reach his brethren, him being a curse from God, let's look at it together. We've got time. Amen. We've got time. Romans chapter 9. Look at it in verse 1. Paul says, I say the truth in Christ. I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. Verse 2, you can see the burden. That I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren. Do you see what Paul is saying there about how burdened he is for his brethren? That if it were possible, which it's not, he would wish to be accursed from Christ, to lay aside his salvation so that they could be reached with the gospel. You can see where Paul's burden was at by what he was willing to lay down to satisfy the demands of the burden. Folks, this morning, I don't know about you, we live in a lost world. And the lost world's only getting more and more lost. It's growing and generations are coming up not knowing Christ. And it's because they're not worth it to us. We're not willing to give of our time and our talents in the service of God that we might reach someone who God thought was enough to worth, was worth it to send his son to die for them. Now, folks, I was one of them. You were one of them. I'm thankful Christ thought that we were worth it. I'll go back to John 12 and we'll finish up. He says, now is my soul troubled and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I unto this hour. Christ is saying hypothetically, what am I going to ask to be excused from this? He knows what he's about to face. He says, what am I going to ask my father that I can be set aside from this and step aside from this? What I love about verse number 27 is I see emotions in Christ that I often feel in my life in my service to God. What do we want to do when it comes time to move forward? We want to get out of there, don't we? We want to get out that back door as quick as we can. He says, what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? Get me out of here? No, but for this cause came I unto this hour. Number three this morning, letting go is a question of which cause is going to count. Letting go is a question of which cause is going to count. That word cause means reason. Here's what he's saying. He says, letting go of my life, this is why I'm here. This is why I'm here. This is why the Father sent me down to this earth to lay down my life for all of mankind that they could be saved and have a home in heaven. He says, this is why I'm here. And here's the question we've got to answer this morning. What is our cause? What is our cause? Because you will find your cause and what you're willing to lay your life down for. Look, it's 2020 and everybody has a cause. Save the whales, save the trees. Save everything but the things that really matter, to be honest with you. And there's all of these causes vying for your life. Now remember, you only have one life. And you've got to decide which life you're going to give, which, life you're going to, which cause you're going to give your life to, because in the end, all that will matter is that you gave it for the cause of Christ. C.T. Studd wrote a poem. I used to keep it in my Bible. I don't think I have it uh, in here anymore. The poem was very long. wouldn't have time to read it, but it says, Only one life will soon be passed, and only what's done for Christ will last. You know what that poem is speaking of? It says, you've got to decide what cause you're going to give your life to. 
What are you going to give your time to and your talents to and your substance to? What are you going to give that to? You've got to decide your cause. We have a beautiful experiment of life. I won't read it, but in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, Solomon says, I'm going to go prove myself with mirth. And the Bible says, I gave myself. Solomon gave himself to possessions and gave himself to emotions and the feelings of this life. And in the end, in verse number 11, he says, it was all vanity. Solomon was saying that was the wrong cause. And at the very end, he said this. The conclusion of the whole matter of life is to fear God and keep his commandments. Fear God and keep his commandments. That meant honor God in the laying down of our life. And following the example of Christ, that when we stand before him, we might hear, well done. Can I ask you this morning, what is your cause? What is your cause? Well, my cause is the cause of Christ. Well, there's a litmus test there. If it really is the cause of Christ, it's going to be what we're giving our life to. Many people shared a quote the other day on Facebook made by Tim Tebow. Whether you like him or don't like him, it was a good quote. It made a lot of sense. He's obviously not playing football anymore, and he is an advocate to end abortion. I made a quote the other day that really sums up what his cause is. He says this, I'd rather save babies' lives than to win Super Bowls. I'd rather save babies' lives than win Super Bowls. You see, Tim Tebow came to a place in his life, and whether it's because he wasn't talented enough, that's your decision to make, but he came to a place in his life, he had to decide what his cause was going to be. Now, be careful. You say, well, I want the cause of Christ. Understand, whatever your cause is, you will give your life to. Christ says, for this cause, this is why I'm here. Can I ask you this? Why are you here? Why did, why did God see fit to leave you here after you accepted him as Savior? Why did he leave you here after you trusted Christ? Why did he leave you here in this life? He left you here for his cause, not our cause. But here's the problem. You have to give yourself to this hour and to this cause. Now look at verse 27, and I promise I'm done. Jesus says in verse 27, Now is my soul troubled, and watch the next part. And what shall I say? What shall I say? You see, these three questions have to be answered. What are you going to say? Now, can I tell you this morning, it's better that you answer these questions now in this life than to wait until later. You see, letting go this morning, letting go is about how far you're willing to follow. What are you holding on to this morning and you wonder why you can't make it anywhere in the will of God? It's because you're holding on to something that God said let go of and what you're holding on to is holding you back. It's a question about what you're burdened about. Jesus says, my soul is troubled, but he was more burdened about us than the trouble it was going to be to save us. What are you burdened about this morning? And then it's a question of which cause is going to count. Is it the cause of Christ or is it going to be the cause of you? Sadly, most of our life, our time, our talents, our substance is given to the cause of us. That's why Solomon says it's vanity. It's us. Rather than giving it to the cause of Christ, that it could bring forth much fruit. Folks, God wants us this morning to let go of whatever he's required of us in service, that we might follow Christ and fulfill his will. Because there'll come a day we'll stand before him. And we will answer the questions that maybe this morning we're not willing to. So why don't we get serious with God and let go of what he's requiring of us in his service today. Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Let's stand to our feet.